Welcome to Fear Less, an audio series designed to help you take action towards letting go of your eating disorder. My name is Jessica Flint, and I'll be your guide to helping you embody the recovered version of yourself. Like every human being ever to walk this planet, you and I are not immune to fear. It is biologically programmed into our brains. At the same time, I'm committed to not letting fear control my destiny and want you to have the same freedom. Every time we choose courage over fear, we grow stronger and receive what we desire most in regards to our recovery, our health, love, wealth, and impact in the world. In order to fully let go of your eating disorder and whatever is holding you back in life, you need to learn how to alchemize fear into courage. So let's lock arms and do this work together. Welcome back, my warrior loves. Today, we are going to be looking at a powerful four-question framework to help you rethink fear. Now, in our last lesson, we looked at navigating intense emotions. So if you are just hopping in on this fearless adventure here, I definitely recommend starting from the very beginning because many of these lessons layer upon one another or we refer back to them because this is really a knowledge base that we're building on how to really take fear and go from theory to practice, to mastery. And so we're all in this together going through Fearless. Speaking of which, I have my co-pilot Andrea Wells here with me today for this Fearless adventure. Andrea is stepping into the role of the host of Recover Strong very shortly. And as I move into the host of Love and Learn in the fall. So welcome back, Andrea. Happy to have you here. Thank you. I'm so excited to keep doing this. Yes, we are looking at this powerful four-question framework, which I'm so excited for you guys to get into because it really is a game changer when you can start to apply these questions. And it's really rooted into our childhood experiences. So, Andrew, you've discussed throughout Fearless that you've had you know, strong fears around body judgment and what are people going to think of my body? Have you found that there's been like a root or a seed that was planted really early around fear of body judgment or you know, how others perceive your body that would lead you to feel such strong emotions or strong fears around that? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes, this one is not a mystery for me to think about. Um, <laughs> I mean, well, we all we live in a world that judges people on their body size and diet cultures everywhere. So that certainly does not help. And another big factor was having those messages affirmed in my own home by my parent. Um, I was raised by my father and he commented on my body a lot growing up, commented on my eating habits explicitly told me that this is hard to talk about. Like, I don't want to put him on blast, but this, th these things happened. He, <laughs> he yeah. would explicitly tell me like he was happier with me when my body was smaller and less happy with me when it was bigger and like not, not hinted, not nothing subtle, like outright said this stuff to me all the time. So of course, mm. that played into developing an eating disorder. I don't know. Maybe I would have developed one anyway. There's multiple factors. And I was, yeah, sometimes I'm like, I don't know, would I have had an eating disorder without my dad's influence? Maybe, maybe not. Anyway, either way, it was, it was, he, his influence was a big factor in how I developed an eating disorder and how I heal from it and how I cope now. And that is something that it's hard to shake because you have the world around you. It's one thing in the world around you is giving you these messages that, 
big bodies are bad, small bodies are good. To have that affirmed in your own home, (laughs) your own little safety bubble by a parent, it really, it hits different. It's like the, it's so hard too, because like our parents were raised in the same society, right? So it's like, it, it is like this education has to go just beyond people who struggle with eating disorders. It really is at the family level, the family system level. Yeah. And I don't think my dad was ever being cruel or malicious. I mean, we've I've talked to him before about how this has affected me now as I've gotten older. And I still have to manage a lot of boundaries around that with him. And it's different for everyone. But in my situation, I know that my dad just really thought it was about health. He was concerned about my health. The intentions were pure. The execution was harmful. Um, so that's something that I recognize in my situation. I know that's a little different for everybody. I've heard that. I mean, I've heard that story a lot. And yeah, you know, your dad's probably not reading health at every size or like getting all these resources to understand health, right? And mm-hmm. I find too that many people's early or main body insecurities, whether it's the entire body or a certain body part, often do kind of stem from what they were told, whether it's by a parent or friends or a sibling around, or maybe not told, like maybe the sibling was told something and they weren't, you know, and it just mm. can be, it can set up a lot. My mind was more around my body hair, you know, and that today is like my biggest insecurity. So, and so I just find that that gets seated so early on and in, in that becomes like the thing, the thing that's wrong with you, like the yeah. thing to focus on. And Sometimes it is the entire weight. So would you say that for you is more just around like weight and body size? Yeah. Or were there specific parts that you like started to really beat yourself up about? No, whole, just whole body, general body size, general weight. The number on the scale, that was another thing that determined my worth <laughs> or what I felt was my worth at the time or my lack of worth. Yeah. At what age did you start getting on the scale at? I don't remember the exact age, but I like elementary school years for sure. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That just goes to show like having a scale in the house too, how like you don't know whether your kids are actually getting on it or not. Like that's something to, I never really thought about that. My dad used to take me to the gym and put me on the scale because he was kind of cheap and he didn't want to buy one. (laughs) (laughs) The gym scale. That's so hard. So then I could see when we get into this framework, yeah, that that's definitely where where the fears can come in. Like, what am I going to weigh? Like, what's dad going to say today? Because of course we want like our caregivers, even if no matter what, we still see them as... Your window to the world. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, even if it's a dirty window, <laughs> you're still like, yeah. that's my window to the world. Smashed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So if your window to the world wasn't the most illuminating, fresh, clear experience it's okay. You're not stained. You're not marked. You can still clean away all of that experience and find the beauty and light within you. So let's uh, keep moving along here into the lesson where we'll look at these powerful four questions to help you rethink fear. lesson today, we will be looking at four questions to help you rethink fear. I learned this mental model from psychologist Dr. Rick Hansen. He is a senior fellow of UC Berkeley's Greater Good Science Center and New York Times bestselling author of Hardwiring Happiness, and also wrote the book Resilient, How to Grow an Unshakable Core of Calm, Strength, and Happiness. Now, Dr. Rick Hansen is legit 
awesome and worth following. I recommend checking his work out. Now to our four questions to help you rethink fear. Dr. Rick Hansen uses these questions as a roadmap for navigating fear and has found them to benefit people greatly in the clinical setting. So let's use you as an example when we run through these four questions. And I'll prompt you at certain times to pause so you can reflect and really do the work. We want to take this from theory to practice to mastery. So first, my question for you is what is something you are deeply afraid of? anything come to mind when I say that? Something that you are deeply afraid of. Maybe there's multiple things that come to mind. And for the purpose of this lesson, choose one. One thing that you are deeply afraid of. Press pause if nothing has come to mind yet. I would love for you to have one thing in mind as we continue through this lesson. Now, mine personally, one thing I am deeply afraid of is falling in love and being left. Like crazy afraid of this. So what is yours? Have you got it yet? Because we're going to keep going. Now next, once you have yours, is to try and isolate the core fears underneath, or the core fear, whether it's one fear or multiple fears, underneath this fear that we discussed in the previous lesson. To jog your memory, they are fear of death, fear of separation, fear of a loss of autonomy, and fear of ego death. Now, ego death essentially means fear of feeling shame, humiliation, worthlessness, or anything that could really alter your sense of self. Now, if you're fuzzy about what any of these mean, I recommend you review the lesson on the four core fears we all have in common. Now, so for me, a fear of falling in love and being left, what would you think that is a core fear underneath that? It is a pretty textbook case example of a fear of separation, fear of abandonment, fear of rejection. Okay, so now your turn. What is your deepest fear and what is the core fear underneath it? Now, before we get into the questions, we're first going to understand a kind of more of a, a mental model around assumptions that you could say as children we make around our fears, which develop into beliefs around life in itself. So this is what Dr. Rick Hansen talks about in terms of getting to these four questions, we first have to understand the underlying assumptions or we consider them concepts. So first concept, first assumption is when we're young, bad things happen often. They happen frequently because we're stuck in certain situations. So we have certain siblings, grandparents, caregivers, environments, schools, whatever it is, they're frequent. Second assumption, when bad things do happen, they feel horrible because as young children, we don't have a lot of resources in our nervous system to damper the intensity of experiences. So we feel them really keenly. Third assumption, they feel like they last forever because when you're a child, a day is forever and a week is infinite. 
seriously, think about this though. Do you remember back in the day when you had summer break and it would go on for eternity? It felt like a lifetime to go through summer. And now a year passes by in warp speed. So when we're young, it feels like it lasts longer. And the fourth and final assumption is when we are children, we don't have many capacities to cope. We can't deal with it. So these are all the assumptions that we're making from a child's perspective. So naturally, we learn from our childhood experiences, and especially the negative ones. And so this creates a negativity bias. So we then transfer or we generalize that structure of expectations to adulthood. The bad event is highly likely, it'll feel terrible, it'll last forever, and I won't be able to cope. So this is a really common experience, regardless of whether you grew up in a dysfunctional family system or not. So now that we have these assumptions down, these these concepts really anchored in, I'll review them here before we get into the questions, is first, when we're young, we believe bad things happen often. Second, when they do happen, when these bad things do happen, they feel horrible because our brains are still developing. Third, they feel like they last forever. Forever. Fourth, when we are children, we don't have many capacities to cope. In my case, I have the fear of falling in love and being left, which as we digged into the core fear around that is a fear of separation, abandonment, rejection. I can see from my childhood experience how that began to become my deepest, most intense fear. So in my case... My dad and mom were pretty much relationally on the rocks my whole entire life and divorced when I was six. My dad left. We had a move. My dad remarried shortly thereafter. My dad and his new wife moved away to another state. And then my dad started a new family. So all of these events happening in only a matter of a few years in my developing child's brain with limited capacities to cope was a surefire way to program in fears of bonding, attachment, and intimacy. And it was actually at this time that I started to develop binge eating disorder. And I would use food as a a source of comfort, connection, and reliability. It became something I could feel safe with. Now, in the example I just shared, there is a somewhat clear connection between my current fear of falling in love and being left and the separation that I experienced in childhood. So you can kind of see those matching up. Do you see any connections from your childhood and things that happened to you that you created a lot of meaning around that could also be contributing to your current day fear? So for example, were you made to feel that your body wasn't good enough early on? Maybe your mom was controlling around her food or your food. Or maybe you had a sibling or peers in your school who made fun of you. And see, does this tie into any fears or insecurities you have about your body today? If you don't see a clear connection, that's okay. The main thing to note before we move on is how the four concepts connect with one another. So the idea is whatever thing I'm scared about will feel horrible, will last forever, and I won't be able to cope. 
This is coming from our childhood experiences, that it will feel horrible, it will last forever, and I won't be able to cope. So, so now we are ready for the questions to counter these beliefs from a position of a rational adult. Okay, so these are the four questions that you are going to do to counteract these beliefs. So the first question to counter the belief that bad things happen often. Ask yourself, how likely is it really? Like really, how likely is it that this is going to happen? Not taking away the reality that it would be bad. Yeah, definitely don't want that to happen. But how likely is it to happen? So I'll be giving my personal examples here and then I'll be asking you to pause and take a minute to reflect on this question yourself. So personally, in my case of falling in love and being left, I can't assign an exact number of likelihood to it, but let's just say, you know, the average divorce rate is probably around 50%, could be higher now. And if we were to say 50%, I still think that's airing somewhat high on the high side, because who's to say that I wouldn't be the one who, you know, wants to separate or we both decide to separate. It doesn't have to end in in a being rejected or abandoned and chosen for somebody else, right? So in that case, let's just say, boom, 50%. Okay, that's how likely this could happen. Okay, so your turn. What about you? How likely is it that your fear will happen? From uh, zero to 10 or zero to 100%, how likely is it that it will happen? If you want to bust out your calculator, get up a web page and Google statistics around things, you can get as nerdy as you want with this. Once again, you may not know the exact likelihood, so try to find a ballpark just so you have something to work with. Now let's move on to our second question here. Now, this question is to counter the belief that it will feel horrible. Okay, so this fear of yours, if it did happen, what would it actually feel like? Like, how bad would it be for you? If you really had to feel this, what, what would it be like? In my case, of falling in love and being left, it would, it would feel devastating. It would be heart-wrenching. Um, it would be really isolating and I would feel lonely and I would feel probably anger. Uh, I would feel sad. In, uh, probably some depression would come in. And I've actually already had a situation like this happen to me before because I survived and I'm happy and I'm thriving. So it has happened to me, and you can do this with some of yours. You may have some past data to reference to really so, okay, hey, look, this has happened in the past. Yes, it was hard. Uh, my heart felt like it got freaking ripped out of my chest, but I, it's no longer, right? It's all past. Your turn now. What about you? If your fear, if this fear happened, yeah, actually happened, what would it actually feel like? And how bad would it be for you? Now our third question to counter the belief that it's going to last forever. So you ask yourself, how long would it last? 
So if this happened to me, if this fear actually came true, how long would I feel bad for? You know, how long would this last? In my case of falling in love and being left, you know, from past experience, I know that intense heartbreak comes in waves and it took me about five years to fully recover. (laughs) I'm a little slow at things. It took me about five years to fully recover and come out stronger. I think I was also doing some deeper healing that got uh, brought up by that experience. So, and to say I didn't feel bad the whole time, those five years, it was when I was truly ready and strong and capable of, you know, really entering into another relationship. But in between this time, I did have positive emotional states. Even the week of my actual breakup, my best friend and I went down to a beach house in Mexico And we were making vision boards and watching videos on manifesting our soulmate and taking notes. And I mean, it was fun. Even though I was in emotional pain and heartbreak, I still had positive experiences during that time. And since that experience, I have grown a lot in my love for myself. I know how to set better boundaries. I know my core values and I live by them. I have a more extensive network of friends. I'm deeply connected with my purpose and soul mission. I have way better self-care practices in place now. So I do, for these reasons, I think it would be a faster turnaround time. So before five years, this time for this question, I'm going to say two years. It's going to take me two years to get back up and open my heart again. So now your turn. Think about your fear. What would happen if it happens How long would it last? How long would you feel bad? You could have days. You could have minutes, days, months, years. And once again, these are kind of back of the napkin calculations because you really don't know. But just to kind of use some past experiences or just try to think like what, you know, hmm, how long would it last? How long would I be feeling bad for? Now, the fourth and final question to counter the belief that you will not be able to cope. So you want to ask yourself, this fear, if it did happen, how would I cope? What are some of the many things that I would actually do? So if this happened, what would I do? How would I cope with it? So in my case, the falling in love and being left, I... Well, right away, I do what I did last time and I took a two-week vacation. Took a two-week vacation from work and I'd go near water because <laughs> I knew that worked in the past and for that for me was exactly what my soul needed and what my soul would need if I had a huge event like this happen in my life. I would also study my dreams and I would talk about them in therapy. I love to work with dream therapy and really understanding what my unconscious is telling me about a certain situation. I would quadruple down on my self-care practices. I would study spiritual text and I would connect with the unconditional love of God. And I would turn my emotional pain into art. I would write in my journal. I possibly could even make a book out of whatever happened. Who knows? There's Who knows what creative sparks could be fired in this emotional state? 
So after saying that, I'm like, that kind of sounds fun. Like, hmm, not not a bad way to go down. (laughs) So your turn. Last question. Think about your fear. If it did happen, how would you cope? What are some of the many things that you could actually do if it happened? Now, these four questions provide a nice structure to work through fears. You can consider them in a sense a mental model. So if you have a fear, you can run them through these four questions to help you really rationally see like, okay, so I fall in love and I get left. Okay, there's a 50% chance. Yes, I'm going to have an intense emotional state, but I know it's not going to last forever. And even within the first week, I'm going to feel positive emotions again. All right. And I have an amazing lineup of strategies to call on to cope. So therefore, this huge, looming fear that would prevent me from fully trusting in love and actually putting the steps forward to, to have a deeper connection and commitment are totally within my ability to tolerate and work my way through. And so if you can start to see that your fear is you know, not that likely, right? It's not 100% certain that's going to happen. And it won't be the most terrible thing ever. And it will be a passing experience. And most importantly, that you can handle it. So you actually don't need to live your life in fear of this thing that you dread because you are more willing to tolerate risk. You kind of know what's ahead and you know that you can handle it. I hope this lesson today gave you some comfort in knowing that our beliefs around our fears is something that formed very early on as children and to give you a helpful structure as an adult or a mental model as an adult on how to question these beliefs and assumptions. The greatest things in life are on the other side of fear, so let's not waste another moment of our precious life holding ourselves back. And if you want support to cultivate the courage to face your own fears in recovery, head over to www.jointhecourageclub.com to get on the waitlist for The Courage Club. The Courage Club is a personalized support system and a supportive community to uplift you every step of the way. Picture yourself surrounded by a community of resilient warriors who genuinely care about your progress and will celebrate every victory, no matter how small, and are walking on a similar path to full eating disorder recovery. Inside, we are tackling struggles with food, body image concerns, and negative thought patterns. Head over to www.jointhecourageclub.com and embrace the journey towards a healthier and happier you. Thank you for tuning in today. And remember that fear doesn't have to hold you back. You can live with greater courage and take back your precious power.